So I was thinking as I was preparing this week, uh, together loving the world like Jesus, I was thinking about these, these two sides of that equation, two sides of that theme. And so here's my take on it. Now, before we get to the together part, which is pretty important because you need the second part of the half, before we get to the together part, there's just one thing i got to say. Christchurch, you inspire me. Christchurch, you inspire me when I think about loving the world like Jesus. The song, it talks about awaken us to have our hearts broken with the things that break the heart of God. And you do that well. You love well beyond the walls of this church. It's, it's one of the things that most define us as a church. I, I, I think most of you would agree. If you think about, gosh, what is Christ church defined by? One of the things we're most defined by, it's, it's in our DNA, is how we love like Jesus beyond the walls of this church. How, do you guys know what I'm talking about? There are amazing things. Active love in action. Uh, Christ church, you've refused to become just a country club of cliques. You take seriously an active Christian witness as you walk out these doors to make an impact. Because God so loved the world, you have so loved the world. And you've lived out uh, really the challenge of 1 John 3.18, which reads this, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with action and in truth. Love in action. And I'm so proud to be part of this family because it's true you do this well it amazes me so I was thinking about this question if for whatever reason Christchurch were just to disappear off the map if we were just gone one day would our neighborhood, would our community weep? would they miss us? that's an easy question for me to answer because the answer is absolutely yes absolutely yes You've given hands and feet to the love of God beyond these walls. And it's easy just to, to list all the things that you've done to love well. From Faith Cafe to the Foster Closet, from Habitat Projects to Hot Cocoa Nights, from Pollock in the Park to food banks to food drives and book drives and countless other ways of ministry. You've loved well beyond these walls. You're, you've become a church of missionaries, a family of our own. The Craigs are down in Haiti living as full-term missionaries. Many of you have actually gone on mission across the seas. And two of our missions have had a consistent presence going time and time again back to the same place to do ministry with the same people. In Romania, since 1997, we've had 22 It'll be 23 this year, different people from Christchurch who've, who've gone on trips to Romania, many of them time and time again. In San Francisco with our YWAM trip and counting the teams that are going down this summer, since, since 2004 we've had 86 different people go on mission trips to San Francisco. That is amazing. That is amazing. And we should, we should be proud of the fact that I think... God has given this church a heart to love the world well like Jesus. And many of you witness that kind of love not just in church programmatic ways. I look out there and I see people who volunteer in schools. I see people who are coaches for your kids' soccer teams or baseball teams who help with Boy Scouts and Girl Scouts and in that place show up with the love of God. And when you show up with the love of God in that place, Jesus shows up too. 
I'm so blessed. As I think about loving the world like Jesus, Christ Church, you do it well. So with that in mind, I want to I turn and look at the second half, half of that, that theme, together. Back to the word together. And it's one of the key ways, and maybe one of the most essential ways that we are called to love. How we are called to do it. You know, it's easy though, sometimes to give lip service to doing ministry together. Sometimes we say, oh, we love doing ministry in teams, but when we're honest, it's just easier doing it by ourselves. Do you know what I'm talking about? Let me tell you a story about that. Um, my kids, uh, while I was on my back uh, with this injury yesterday and Lisa was working, I kind of tried to use my kids as much as po- possible. And we have this theme at home, whenever they get arguing, I just remind them that together is better. And normally I say it like this, I say, kids, together, and then all of you be my kids say, is better. Together? together. You know, and so it's a little thing we do. So I went outside to get a little bit of air and I sit in my chair and I'm like, hey kids, why don't you pick up the sticks? Because together... And they, they did it. It was great. We went inside the house and the playroom was a little bit messy. I'm like, guys, hey, why don't you help each other put the toys away? Because together? And then it's time to make lunch. And so I thought, well, we'll just do this. Hey, guys, it's time to make lunch because... And Nikki goes, because we're hungry. Okay. So I was thinking about that. There are times that when we're honest, we think about how much work it is to do it together. And honestly, there are times when we are feeling overwhelmed by life, that our plate is filled to overflowing, and when we think about doing ministry together, it's like, gosh, that's just one more thing I've got to throw on a very busy, very hectic, overfilled life. Ah, I'm just hungry. I'm just hungry. And so we hesitate to get plugged in. We hesitate, and maybe we even feel guilty to find a place to serve. But my friends, this isn't about adding just one more thing. I want to give you a word of hope and encouragement. Because being together is much more, much, much more than just doing. It's a way of being that Jesus has called us to. And that's what we're going to reflect on and look at in Scripture today. Would you please pray with me? Father, I pray that you would meet us uh, here today in, in the place that you find us. But We're all in different places of our journeys. Um, many of us are feeling overwhelmed and stretched too thin with plates too full and um, involvement, connection, all of those things we wish we could do, but we don't know how to make it happen. Take us beyond the practical. Lord, help us see the spiritual realities of body life, of, of life living together. Meet us and convince us we have a place, a place that fills us up and doesn't drain us. Show us that we matter, that we're invaluable, that we're cherished by you and by each other. And now, Lord, may the words of my lips and the meditation of our hearts together be pleasing in your sight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this together thing. I want to talk about team ministry, being part of a team. How many of you have been part of a team in the past? Sports, work, church, right? What are some of the great things about being part of a team? Just yell them out. (laughs) We're hungry! (laughs) What's that? It gets you dressed. It gets you dressed. Gets you out of the house. All right, what are some of the things about being part of a team? It can be fun. Be part of something. You get to know other people. 
You share experiences. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. And sometimes we even learn things through losing. What's that? We learn from other people, right? I, I sent, thank you, I sent this email out to some of our leaders around the church and asked for feedback. These are some of their reflections on what it means to be part of a church serving, in the, in, a team serving in the church. Serving together is like playing together. It's more fun to share the fun. It's how we get to know each other. It makes me feel good and wanted and liked. Laughter. It's all about relationship. My favorite quote is from Mother Teresa. Being unwanted, unloved, uncared for, forgotten by everyone. I think that is a much greater hunger, a much greater poverty than the person who has nothing to eat. A Christchurch person gave me that quote. Mother Teresa didn't email me back. Just to clarify, <laughs> clarify that. As a team, we can accomplish so much more than by doing it alone. And listen to this one. There's no time when I am more aware of the real presence of Christ than when I'm shoulder to shoulder with my brothers and sisters, studying, worshiping, praying, and serving. Matthew 18.20, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I in the midst of them. That's the core of my message, honestly, today. That we have tasted at times, we have tasted and seen how good it is to do ministry together, to feel that connection, and to know there's a place to serve. And so we get pumped up in those places. It fills us up. But still there's something that that makes us hesitate, that makes us withdraw and not plug in at times. You know, and I I was thinking about why is that? We've also had experiences of team that have not been positive. Am I right? You know, I, I don't know if it was the NFL draft thing this week, but I was thinking back to middle school in gym class where they line you up on a wall, you're all with me, right? And two people would come forward to pick teams for basketball, kickball, dodgeball, whatever. And if you were like me, what's the instinctive first thing that's going through your head while you're lined up on that wall? I hope I'm not last. And you know what? Most of us, there's something broken in us. We're convinced I'm going to get picked last. I don't have anything to add. I'm not gifted. I'm not valued. I'm not talented. I'm going to get picked last. And even if that's not true, we get picked somewhere in the middle. Situations, uh, other experiences reinforce that feeling inside of us. I remember very specifically, I was a junior in high school in the weight room, and the football coach, Coach Decano, who we all feared, came up to me and he put his arm around me and said, You know, Lions, if you weren't too slow, too small and too weak, (laughs) you'd be a darn good football player. (laughs) Thanks, Coach Decano. You know, these things reinforce in us that somehow we don't measure up, that we're going to get picked last, we don't have anything to give. You know, my friends, that is a lie when it comes to the church. But we buy into it even when we think about our faith. That somehow we don't have anything to give or offer. One of my favorite stories is, is told by Mike Iaconelli, who had this dream. He had this dream that there, he's part of a crowd that's running up a hill, following, literally following after Jesus. And Jesus is he's just scooting up the hill, and the whole crowd is following up, and Mike is in the crowd. And then also Jesus whips around, and he points right to, to Mike, and he says... Hey, you, come follow me. And Mike just, he lights up. He's so excited. He feels this, this excitement just, just surging inside of him. He's like, okay, Jesus. And he starts running even faster. And then Jesus says, whoa, 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 wait. I'm sorry. Uh, not you, the guy behind you. <laughs> Why do we have those feelings like we're not good enough? It's a lie. 
And we need to replace that lie with the truth. The truth that Jesus picks us. That He picks us first. That if He had the choice to go to that cross for just one of us, He would say, you're worth it. And He'd go on that cross for you or for me. Just for one of us. He picks and chooses each one of us first. But He does more than that. He picks us to play a part in this group of followers, of this body of believers. If you see how Jesus does it from the very beginning, He picks the most unlovable, unwanted, the outcast. He picks them and says, You come follow me. Be part of what I'm doing. And then when He sends them out, He doesn't send them out alone. He sends them out in groups and teams. And looking at the early church in the book of Acts, they grab hold of that. And they do the same thing. They were always together in everything. You cannot read the book of Acts without seeing they were always together in everything. And even, even more so, the early church describes this spiritual reality using body language. Using body language. And this comes up in, in several places in Scripture. But two significant verses we're going to look at are in 1 Corinthians 12 and Ephesians chapter 4. If you've got your Bibles, I'd encourage you to flip them over. Uh, first, open. Um, don't just flip the Bible over. <laughs> flip them open to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. We're going to start in verse 14. I'll give you a second to find it while I drink. See if you catch the themes that go beyond the practical to the spiritual in these two verses. Paul writes, starting in verse 14, Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the foot should say, Because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. And if the ear should say, Because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts of the body, every one of them, just as He wanted them to be. If, we, if they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. While our presentable parts need no special treatment. But God has combined the members of the body and has given greater honors to the parts that lacked it. So that there should be no division in the body. But that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you, church, all of you, church, are the body of Christ. And each one of you is a part of it. Do you catch the themes of togetherness? And believe me, I know when one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. You know what I'm talking about. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 4. Just back a couple books. We'll start at verse 11 through 13. I'll give you a moment to find it. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. 
It was he, it was Christ, who gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, and some to be pastors and teachers. For what reason? To prepare God's people for works of service. Works of service for what reason? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of God. Check this out. Paul writes that we are built up, we are prepared, we are equipped to do works of service, not for the sake of making an impact in the world. That's a byproduct. We are equipped, we are prepared to do works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up. To be built up, it's the same work in Greek as strengthened. It's the same work in in Greek as encouraged that the body may be encouraged, strengthened, and built up. That's why we're drawn together. So if you look at these two passages, and you think about the theme of, of being together, and you move beyond the practical aspect of being together, and look at the spiritual realities, these are the themes that pop up. We need each other, church. We need each other. Every single one of you is indispensable. We need unity with each other. When one part of the body breaks down and is, is disjointed or in disease, the whole body feels it and breaks down too. We need to care for and care about each other. We need to know that each one of us is uniquely gifted and has a unique role and a unique place that no one else could fill. No one else. And we need to be prepared to do works of service. To make an impact out there, but not for the impact alone, but that the body of Christ would be built up. And that we would be built up in love. Strengthened, encouraged, built up in love. My friends, this is what the church is supposed to be all about. So it's no wonder when we don't feel connected or we're feeling disjointed about things, when we don't feel part of the action in church, it hurts us. We're amputated. We're, we're floating. We're not part of the body. And that's why it's so crucial to help each other get and stay connected. Every single one of you, and those who are not here this morning, every single one of you, you're essential to the body life of this community. God has called us together. And together is better. You know, a couple years ago as we were working as a church on our strategic plan and we've been talking about that some, one aspect of our vision was to cultivate servant leaders, to grow up and inspire and encourage uh, team ministry to happen. And honestly, it's, it's become unfinished business for us. It got put on the back burner in some ways. And while we have a lot of great teams operating here, we've missed, I think, some, some ways to encourage body life in this place. And there's, there's lots of important practical things that we were, were part of those goals about making sure that nobody served alone, that we brought up apprentice leaders, that we actually had consistent language and training and process for all our teams so we were all rowing together, that we made sure nobody burned out. Those are some practical things, but they are secondary to the fact that we need to be more intentional about living out body life together. That Christ's body is built up strengthened, encouraged when we come together and do ministry. And it's not just a little tweak of a program. 
It's a mindset that should affect every time we get together. That there's a commitment for connection as we serve. And, and actually, I've been, I have a great hope that this is going to be put on the front burner for us again as a church. That we can recognize we have so much potential to take this the next step and really see that together is better. So let me tell you about a trip to Hawaii I took. You guys remember I went to Hawaii? Uh, I got to talk about that last month. But I went to Hawaii for a conference. <laughs> um, so I was in Hawaii at a conference. And uh, it's called New Hope Community Church. Wayne Cordero is a pastor there. You should check, check him out. And they do some amazing things. They have 16,000 members, but they, they have a building no larger than ours. They meet in dozens and dozens of school campuses. But their conference is called Doing Church as a Team. And they do this conference every year. 2,000 people came. They do this conference for their own church. There were like 150 of us from outside of Hawaii that came. They do this conference for their own church to remind them this is how we do ministry. We do ministry as a team. And there are many things, many uh, just cool moments, inspirational moments. But there are three inspirations that really challenged me as I came back. And I just wanted to share with you guys today as I think about this issue of together loving the world as Jesus. First of all, when they talked about doing church as a team, it was not a program. It was, it was part of their culture. If you're going to do ministry here, we do it as teams. Nobody serves alone. We, we build groups of people with like hearts, and we send them after whatever God's called them to. But we never do ministry alone. It's not just about a program. It was their mindset, their culture over all their ministries. Secondly, they had this conviction, everybody is a 10 somewhere. Everybody is a 10 somewhere. Now, before you get a vision of me like Bo Derek running down the beach with my beads, it's true. All of us are at 10 somewhere. And it's actually our responsibility to find out where that is. Now, the church has a responsibility to make clear avenues and doorways and gateways to get plugged into ministry, to test drive things. But we might show up in children's ministry and go, I'm not a 10 here, I'm like a 2. Or you might show up and, and we help with uh, you know, ushering or hosting. Or like, well, I'm, I'm about a six there. I want to try a new thing. And then you get on a service team and you're like, wow, that feels like I'm a ten. I was built for this. I was built for this. Their conviction resonates through all they do and say. Everybody here is a ten. He says, statistically, one out of three people are extremely talented, gift, gifted, and, and, and beautiful. Look to your left and your right. And if it ain't them, it must be you. <laughs> Everybody is a 10. So chase after it. Find where it's at. And believe me, it'll fill you up and not drain you. It will fill you up. But we got to quit feeling bad about the ways we're not serving and feel great about the little ways that God is helping us connect and serve. Because everyone is a 10 somewhere. The third inspiration challenge me was it's in and through teams that faith was nurtured. They don't build ministry teams just to go and do something. They do body life where they're encouraged and built up. So every team is challenged to make part of their time together a time of sharing, a time of caring about what's really going on, a time of prayer, a time of growing deeper in faith, of really connecting so that when one person on a team goes down with a bad back, he's got other people on the team calling and say, hey, can I bring some food over? My address is 7280 Southeast Francis Street. 
you're all part of my team. You know, if someone's got a special hurt that they share about in the group, someone else says, hey, can we do coffee this week and chat about it? I'd like to know more. I'd like to know how I can pray for you. Or if there's times to celebrate, if one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. If one part of the body rejoices, the whole body rejoices. It's in and through their teams. It's in and through their teams that faith is nurtured and encouraged. And so as I've come home from New Hope, I've had conversations with people here, friends, about what it would take to reboot and put this on the front, the front burner for us to evaluate and look at all the ways we can encourage body life at Christ Church. And so if you're interested in being part of that conversation, come and talk to me. Because, guys, we're really, really close. And it's happening in some really special ways. But, you know, it's part of leadership's job to help nurture and encourage all our teams to be on the same page about doing this well. Because the bottom line of this is if you and I, if we really feel like God has called us together in this body here at Christ Church then we have a place to fit. And we have a promise that we have all we need. If we really believe that we're called to be here, the promise is you have all you need, church. Listen to this from Second Peter chapter 1. His divine power has given us everything we need. Everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. Through these, He has given us His very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in this world caused by evil desires. We get to participate in what God is doing here in this place and beyond these walls. And we have all we need if we believe we've been called to the place, to this place, to this body, and we step in And we experience being plugged in, being part of body life. Because you know what? Jesus hasn't picked you last. He's picked you first. Every single one of you. Myself included. We've not been picked last. Each of us are uniquely gifted and have a place to serve. And it's no accident that you're here. Finding out why you're here is a challenge. I'm going to close with this story. Um... Lisa and I, several years ago, we thought uh, maybe our table was full. We had two little girls at the time, and we were wondering if we have, should have more kids. Um, and even we maybe felt called to adopt someday or something, because we thought, well, it doesn't feel like our table's very fully full, but it's full enough for now. So we decided that we would take measures to make sure no more biological kids would come in place. So ten days before my measure... Lisa comes to me and says, Hey, you know that surgery? Yeah, you don't need to get it. I'm like, Why? Have you changed your mind? She goes, No, I'm pregnant. Like, oh, wow. And there came Joey. And as Lisa and I, we've talked about this so, so, so many times. Do you know what? We could not imagine life without Joey. We could not imagine life with this little goofball who gets it from his mom. <laughs> You know, the joy he's brought to his sisters, they just adore him. That he runs around here with 50 aunts and uncles taking good care of him. I could not imagine life without Joey. And I want to say to you today, Christ Church, I could not imagine this body life without you. Without you. 
without you and you and you and you and you. And neither could Jesus. So he wants us to step into it, to connect, to give ourselves permission. If, we, if our plates are full, don't feel bad about what we're not doing, but just find a tiny way to plug in and, and connect with others, to click into part of the body. Because Jesus could not imagine life without you. If you're called here, let's be the body. Truly live out believing that together is better. Would you please pray with me? Father, thank you for just a reminder of body life is about uh, connection and love and care for each other. And the, the ministry we do, the work that happens is just a byproduct of that care. Lord, may we be inspired with hope about connecting and plugging in in ways that fills our cup in the ways that we most need because we know you've chosen us to be here and if we're called and chosen to be here help us find our place thank you for loving us so much and caring so much that you place us in this family help us live it out in Jesus name we pray Amen